Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the award-winning Texas history podcast. I'm Ken Wise, your host. Thank you for tuning in today for a little Texas history. This will be the final episode in my series that I've been doing called Exploring the Texas Revolution, where I've traveled around and interviewed site directors at various historic sites important to the Texas Revolution. This episode is being recorded and released in early May 2020. So we are on the heels of the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, where we've been locked down around the state to varying degrees, haven't been able to travel much or really go very many places. Uh, so I thought that this series would be a good opportunity to on the 184th anniversary of the Texas Revolution, when we're all stuck at home, to go through some of the revolution sites and give you a chance to hear from the directors about what you can see when we can get out of the house and visit these sites. And there's some good news on that front. When this episode's being released, Texas is starting to reopen, which we are all glad about. And you will be able to visit all the sites that I've talked to. Be sure and call in advance to make sure you know exactly what you're able to see and what the rules are. But uh, hopefully you can get out and enjoy some of the important Texas Revolution sites. Well, this episode will be about the San Jacinto Battleground. I sat down with Andy Smith and Kate Johnson from the staff at San Jacinto Battleground for a great discussion about the battleground and how you can experience one of the pivotal sites in the history of Texas and indeed the history of the United States. So enjoy this interview about the San Jacinto Battleground with Andy Smith and Kate Johnson. Well, good morning, Andy and Kate. Thanks so much for being on Wise About Texas this morning. Thanks for having us. I'd love to get you to introduce yourself and tell the listeners what you, who you are and what you do for the San Jacinto Battleground. Hello, I'm Andy Smith. I'm the site manager for San Jacinto Battleground State Historic Site, working for Texas Historical Commission. I've been in this uh, position for about six months, uh, though I was with the battleship and Texas Parks and Wildlife previous to that. So I've been out here for uh, over 13 years. Wow. Uh, Hi, my name is Kate Johnson. I am in charge of programming and education and interpretation out here. I've been in this position about a year and a half. Okay, super. Well, we're recording this episode and are probably going to end up getting it released during the great uh, 2020 coronavirus pandemic, which is certainly unique circumstances for everybody. Um, We're under stay-at-home orders except for certain essential businesses right now. Uh, but it's my understanding that the battleground, the park part, not the monument, is still open. Is that right? Tell us what's open and what's not. Yeah, that is correct. We are have the grounds. We have over 1,200 acres out here uh, of the battleground, and they are currently open. Now, obviously, that could change uh, depending on county, state, federal uh, mandates. But currently, we are open and have our restrooms open. None of our facilities uh, any of the public gathering places are open and we are encouraging folks to come out but practice good social distancing it's a good place to recreate uh, wander the trails uh, enjoy the great outdoors get some fresh air and sunshine but we are asking people not to get together in groups obviously um, but we we do remain open and plan on remaining open as long as we can great that's great news for the community what um, 
Tell us what, and I'd like to hear each of you because you have different functions out here. What is a day in the life at the San Jacinto Battleground? Battle what what's a typical day? So for a site manager, a typical day is mostly emails and uh, correspondence and, and teleconferences, especially right now. But typically, uh, a lot of what we do is uh, keeping the grounds uh, acceptable to the public. We want to present a, a historic uh, experience and we want to make sure that people are safe and comfortable to come out here so a lot of our daily activities are, are maintaining the grounds um, uh, we also like to interact with the public as much as possible obviously not right now we're avoiding that uh, so any chance we have to get out and, and, and tell people the story of this uh, holy ground if you will uh, is is just a, a great day but most of what we do is uh, you know, mowing trimming making sure the uh, restoration of the tall grass prairie to try to restore the battlefield to its 1836 appearances. That's a lot of our work right there. Tell us about the prairie part. You so, said restore it to the tall grass prairie. What does that mean? So um, in 1836, when the battle was fought here, uh, the, the bulk of the landscape, if you will, would have been a coastal prairie. Sometimes we refer to it as tall grass, but technically it was a coastal prairie. Uh, a lot of the documents, uh, first-hand accounts, uh, reference uh, grass tall as the horse's belly or knee-high. Um, over time, as this has become a, a park, uh, you know, it became a, the first state park in 1907, there was a a desire to keep it manicured very pretty you know saint augustine grass and everything close mowed uh, about 20 plus years ago uh, texas parks and wildlife at the time the stewards of the battleground uh, embarked on uh, efforts to restore the central part of the battleground what was we believe the battlefield um, to its 1836 appearance. Now, there's some problems with that. We have a big reflection pool and a big monument right in the middle of that, but those are beautiful additions and, and make for a uh, part of the storytelling of this land. Um, but our efforts to uh, restore the prairie began about 20 years ago, and, and they involve a number of different aspects. One is getting rid of the evasive species, the things that don't belong here. So that's herbicides and cutting. Uh, it also involves uh, prescribed burns. We try to do those once a year um, where we burn away and that helps the natives grow and helps get rid of the evasives. Um, and then we also do a, a what we call a shredding schedule. So we shred the fields uh, twice a year or so. Um, around November we start and then again in June. And that's to help uh, maintain the native grasses. Um, but probably the biggest effort in, is involved with a volunteer group we have, Master Naturalists, and they're actually propagating um, tall grasses, um, forbs, different kinds of plants that would have been native, and growing them here and then planting them uh, when they can. Um, so those three efforts uh, have gone a long way to restoring a large portion of the battlefield into what it would have looked like or close to what it would look like in 1836. Right. So, Kate, you've uh, you've got these beautiful grounds that Andy's returning to their native <laughs> status. How do you, on a typical day, and we're not in typical times, but in a typical day, what what are you what are you doing to interpret that for the public? Yeah. So, uh, myself and then my coworker, Caitlin Shaver, we're the we're the people you will uh, probably interact with if you come out here. So, we run programs, uh, kind of historic hands-on programs to give people 
a feel for what what life might have been like. Uh, we do arts and crafts. We have some replica artifacts. People can come out and touch. Um, we're do some living history programs. We are the ones who are in charge of the school groups. Uh, we offer free school programs for anyone who calls and makes a reservation. Uh, so we're the ones who do that. And we also try to do outreach out into the community. So uh, going to libraries, going to schools that can't come to us, going to um, other events at kind of similar places, other museums. Well, we talked a little bit about this before we went on the air, but uh, the park is open. And you mentioned that you're doing some things to help interpret that uh, for folks. I presume it's online. Tell us about how folks can experience uh, an, interp an interpretation of the battleground while we're all quarantined. Yeah, so, so obviously a lot of my job involves interacting with people, which is not what we want to do right now. So we're trying to take things digital uh, as much as possible. And we're doing a series of virtual tours. Um, highlighting various aspects of the park uh, so that you can at least see what's going on out here. And it's something to to keep in mind for when things are open or as long as the grounds are open, you can come out and then see those things in person. And we are also working on some educational videos to tell the story of San Jacinto. And we'll say this again at the end, but where can they find those? Uh, they can find that at our Facebook page, uh, the San Jacinto Battleground, or at our website. Uh, visitsanjaceno.com. Oh, that'll be great. Um, so describe, if you will, uh, either one of you, what, well, let me ask you this. You're, you're in charge. This is one of the most sacred sites, if not the most sacred in Texas history, or practically sacred, the Alamo may be morally sacred, but um, what happened here changed the entire world. How does it feel to be in charge of making sure people understand that? That's an honor um, to get to talk to people. And we get a lot of people who have uh, visiting who have a ton of pride about being a Texan and to get to talk to them and kind of explain the story of where Texas started. It's it's a the school's part of my job. And I have to weigh in on that one, too. First off, we are the most sacred site. This is where uh, the battle uh, was won. Alamo and I grew up. Uh, I have relatives in San Antonio. Right, I'm a, I'm I know. I'm, I'm a native Houstonian, though, so I'm, I'm one of those rarities around here. Uh, but, no, this is, you, you hit on it. It's, this is holy ground. This is sacred ground, and it is. And Kate said this, and I, I can't think of a better term. It is an absolute honor. To, to be a steward over this and to share um, the history uh, of this land and what it means to civilization. Uh, as you pointed out, this changed the world. What happened here? Um, now, all the battles and all the engagements uh, in the Texas Revolution were significant and led up to this, but this was the event. This was this place. This is where Texas became Texas. And that, to me, as a native Houstonian, as a native Texan, is... Uh, absolutely something that I, I I have a lot of honor and and pride in uh, my part in all of this it's uh, I agree with you there there are days especially in the spring and the fall when the days are nice if I got a little extra time around lunch I'll come out here and just do a loop through the park it's one of the most beautiful places to talk about for me it's meditation to be able to circle that monument and think about um, think about all that what um, what of the battleground as, as we think we know it? What is in the park and, and how much of it and how much of it maybe is not part of the park? 
Uh, most of it uh, is within the park. Uh, we've lost a bit of the Texas camp as the ship channel has widened. Uh, Buffalo Bayou is about 25 feet across in 1836. It is much larger now. So that's encroached a little bit. And then the part of where the aftermath of the battle took place is no longer on our property. But the, where the core of the battle took place is out behind the monument. Yeah, and just to add to that, we talked about the prairie restoration, but one of the other significant uh, landscapes in 1836 was the marsh, uh, and we've done a lot of work to restore where those. Where was that in 1836? It was uh, basically just the other side of the monument. Okay. What would it be north of the monument? Um, and that would have been where once the 18 minutes of battle uh, took place, the, the aftermath, where the Texans were basically hunting down the Mexican soldiers and killing them. A lot of them, uh, the landscape was such that it was very difficult to tell where the the coastal prairie ended and the marsh started. So these Mexicans, not being from here, not used to this kind of climate, this terrain, started running what they thought into a field, and they ended up in the marsh, and that's where a lot of them were slaughtered. Um, so... We, we do have, as Kate mentioned, the bulk of what we think is the battlefield within the, the 1,200 acres that we, that we manage as a state agency. Um, but there are a couple of locations of significance related to the battle that aren't. Uh, Santa Ana's capture site is one, is over a, above Washburn Tunnel, basically, right now. Um, and some of the archaeology we've done recently has... Uh, potentially pushed uh, the boundaries of what we think of as the battlefield a little bit further out. Um, so we're um, we're trying to do our best archaeologically to determine exactly where everything happened. Though it was a one day, more or less, and we all know there was more than one day here. But <laughs> the battle itself and and what would have left behind any significant remains uh, was very ephemeral. And, and, and that is hard to find in the archaeological record. Uh, and I didn't want to talk about that archaeology, but you mentioned the marsh, and <clears throat> listeners might know the story of Peggy's Lake. Of course, the McCormick family, Peggy the widow, owned the ranch, which, was, which is what this was before or on the day of the battle, uh, and for a while after the battle, uh, which is a whole other podcast, how that came to be uh, not hers anymore. But... Um, we know about Peggy's Lake, and they talk about running the soldiers into Peggy's Lake. Do we, is Peggy's Lake in the park? Or? No, Peggy's Lake is part of that that Kate was uh, referencing that is no longer, or is not part of what we uh, manage as uh, the 1,200 acres. Is That's, it identifiable? It is, okay. it is, but it's it's being used as a um, um, dredge spoil okay. for the Houston Ship Channel, has been for decades. So um, it's a lot to... A lot more material on top. It is, it is, it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, how much you mentioned, Kate, you mentioned the Texan camp. How much of that is left and how much is gone, do you think? I'll be honest, I don't really know. Um, it's I don't probably impossible. I, I don't think we know. It's mm-hmm. going to be hard to tell uh, how far out it extended. But uh, there still is a very defined Texas camp area of the park. Um, it is the, the part that's over on the ship channel side. Yeah, and where does the monument sit with respect to the battle? The listeners of this podcast, for sure, will know about the line of the infantry and the cavalry and all of that. They go over a hill, mm-hmm. uh, the twin sisters behind them. 
the, the, the monument with respect to all of them? On that hill. So on they, top of the hill? Yeah, so they built it on the high ground um, right. out here. Uh, so yeah, so the actual battle takes place about a quarter of a mile uh, beyond the beyond the monument. And I'm thinking of this from the, the ship channel side. So when I say behind, right, at it yes, if I'm looking at it from with the reflection pool, it's behind that. We'll mention we're talking so much about these places, these, these places within the park. There are markers out here that interpret that, that say, here's where the Mexican camp was, the Texan camp, the cavalry the day before, et cetera, et cetera. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so there's a number of different markers you can look out, out look at out here, but the and the neatest one, in my opinion, is we have these large stone boulders made out of granite, and they are essentially a first-person account. In 1901, the San Jacinto chapter of the Daughters of the Republic of Texas brought out the the last surviving veterans, uh, because there still were a couple of surviving veterans, and they went out and they marked the spots that they remembered important things happening. They put these iron crosses in the ground. And then 11 years later in 1912, uh, the daughters raised the money to replace those crosses with these large boulders. There's 18 of them on the site now and one uh, in Pasadena at the site of Vince's Bridge. And then, uh, uh, and those stones were placed when, you said? 1912. And they are, I mean, essentially it's looking at the battle through the eyes of the soldiers who fought in it. That's a great opportunity. Can people, is there a map or something? Can they just follow those markers around? Yeah, so there's a map uh, on our site map. Uh, they're all marked, and you can pick up a copy of that. Uh, even while we're closed, we have some out in front of the headquarters building. And then when we're open, it's available at headquarters or in the monument. Great. Um, all right, let's talk about archaeology for a minute. What has been done out here that we know about? I know that there's, um, and I've talked about on the podcast, the trips that would come down here in the 1830s after the battle that would stop and actually my great-great-grandfather was a physician in Houston who was out here collecting skulls, um, which I'm not able to find, but uh, wish I could. But uh, what archaeology, when archaeology got a little more formalized down here, what's been done and what's planned? So the bulk of the archaeology that has been officially done out here um, is project related. So for instance, um, to clear the four or 500 acres that we're actively restoring prairie, we went through and did an archeological survey just to make sure, because those planting activities obviously disturb some ground. Um, the dirty secret is there has not been enough archeology span done out here. And a lot of the archeology, span especially in the early years that you mentioned was avocational, not necessarily very scientific. Um, so realistically, almost any time we have a project, we do archaeology related to that project. So, um, you know, 1,200 acres, we're always trying to, you know, improve or restore prairie or restore marsh. Um, before we undertake those activities, we'll do an archaeological survey of those areas, trying to determine what's there, what's not. Um, one of the things you talked about earlier was the Texian camp. And obviously with the battleship coming here in eight, 1948, um, that was kind of before we really were doing good archaeology, in my opinion. Um, so there wasn't a lot done in that area. So that's that's some of the discussion with the battleship and related to the Texian camp. That area in general is where the Texian camp was identified. Um, so there's not been a lot of good archaeology done there. With the um, battleship leaving, 
the hope is that we'll be able to do a lot more archaeology in that area and maybe better determine uh, Texian camp, runaway scrape, which is one of the things that's not talked about much in relation to San Jacinto and the overall revolution. But that was a very significant aspect of the revolution. And uh, here was one of the focal points. This is where people were going. Thousands of folks came here escaping the Mexican army, um, try to travel east and, and got log jammed here at Lynchburg Ferry, which Lynchburg Ferry, another significant aspect of this uh, Peninsula was in operation before the battle. It's, uh, you know, 1820s was when it started operation, 1821. Um, so the archaeology in general is, in my opinion, we haven't done enough. Um, the hope is with THC um, and some of the plans going forward, moving the battleship, uh, ongoing restoration work for both the marsh and the, and the tall grass coastal prairie, uh, that we'll have a lot more archaeology. Um, coming up. Um, so specific plans, we are still in the, the stages of developing uh, where we want to focus our efforts. I think a lot of our efforts are going to be focused on where the battleship was and once it moves and once we start restoring that. We did just acquire 19 acres additional that are north of the battleship and south of Wansagin, the Harris County Park right at the end of the peninsula. So those 19 or so acres in between uh, is probably going to be our big focus for archaeology, and that could potentially be part of the Texan camp, could potentially be uh, Runaway Scrape, New Washington Road. Uh, there's a lot that goes through that 19 acres. Um, so one of the projects we're looking at is how do we restore that to its 1836 appearance and are able to do the archaeology to determine what was there, what went on there. Um, so overall, I would say our archaeological efforts are probably going to be ramping up here uh, in the next year or so, um, and we might get ahead of the project-based archaeology. In other words, plan out a, a better survey and, and start looking to where we need to focus some of our efforts. What do you think, uh, other than the Twin Sisters, what do you think remains to be found out well, there that you'd really like to see found? The... Um, that's a that's a loaded question. Right? Uh, I think the the big thing uh, that remains is the the mass graves of the Mexicans uh, soldiers. Um, you you reference this, but uh, after the battle, there were bodies laying six seven hundred um, bodies laying around, and they were left uh, in place uh, until a few uh, a little while later when uh, Miss McCormick after she sued the, the newfound country of Texas to try to take care of those bodies, she ended up hiring some ranch hands and they made an indeterminate number of mass graves. Um, so they're here somewhere, maybe. I don't know, depending on where they were buried, how they were buried, the bodies might not be, but they might. Um, the uh, other aspects that I think would be very significant were um, more evidence of Alamante's surrender site uh, and we we've been doing some archaeology related to that and feel like we might have keyed in on that um, and, and maybe found some evidence of where that was that was a pretty significant uh, event that would leave evidence right. a lot of the other events um, uh, of the battle itself are not going to leave a lot of evidence so really from an archaeological perspective I think the 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 biggest gain in knowledge is just going to be the terrain, what the landscape looked like, and will guide our efforts in restoring that landscape to its um, 
1836 appearance because there's a lot going on here. I don't think people realize the diversity of uh, the geography. I mean, we've talked about the prairies and we've talked about the marsh, but there's also the uh, Bottleman Forest, which would have been all along the bayou and the river, um, which would have been a boundary around. That forest would have been where the Texians camped, the marsh where the Mexicans died, the prairie where the battles were fought. So in better defining, doing archaeological work and better defining those boundaries and those areas and those transitions would help to define uh, more exactly where things occurred. Well, I appreciate y'all taking the time to do this today. Before we go, Kate, tell us again, how can uh, people experience this park at a distance? I know everyone's going to be out here the minute they're able to, and they can certainly come enjoy the park uh, somewhat right now. Uh, Tell us how we can learn more about it online. You can visit our Facebook page, which is San Jacinto Battleground, or you can visit our website, that is visitsanjacinto.com. And then once things open back up, also check both those locations. We'll have a bunch of programs going on, so you can not just come out and experience the park itself, but also dive a little bit deeper into the history. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. The San Jacinto Battlegrounds address is 3523 Independence Parkway South, LaPorte, Texas. Plug that into your phone. It'll take you right to it. And remember, you can enter the battleground from State Highway 225 um, driving east, or you can take the Lynchburg Ferry, which is where the Texas Army and Santa Ana were headed when they met at San Jacinto. That ferry's still running, been running since 1822, and is an interesting way to cross the Houston Chip Channel. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wise About Texas. Get out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.